up to the book of Psalms again. Psalm 138. We'll continue for a couple more weeks in this series through the fifth book of the Psalter. Many of its themes related to those things we find in the book of Deuteronomy. After this sermon series this summer, in the evenings, I'll return to the book of Deuteronomy where we'll spend a little bit of time before we go to Joshua and also the book of Revelation. I'm ready to get back. (laughs) But I love the Psalms. The Psalms are like all of wisdom literature. The scripture speaks of them as goads, nails upon which we are to hang our lives And there are things that are often said in the Psalms that we would not think appropriate if they were not ordained by the Holy Spirit. And they give for us insight, not just as to how we are to live, but the glorious benefit of a life devoted to God. If you wish to avoid license and legalism, those two errors in approaching God's holy word, Go to the Psalms, for we find not only warm affection, but deep devotion. Psalm 138. I will praise thee with my whole heart, even before kings or the gods will I praise thee. I will worship toward thine holy temple and praise thy name because of thy loving kindness and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy name above all things by thy word. When I called, then thou heardest me and hast increased strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, for they have heard the words of thy mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord is great. For the Lord is high, yet he beholdeth the lowly, but the proud he knoweth afar off. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, yet wilt thou revive me. Thou wilt stretch forth thine hand upon the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. The Lord will perform his work toward me. O Lord, thy mercy endureth forever. Forsake not the work of thine hands. Thus far the reading of God's word, let me pray now for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, Work by your spirit in us. True wisdom and understanding. Hearts that are moved and long to hear your word. So that we might go forth this day having been transformed. To be faithful worshipers. Not only to know what to say about you. But fearlessness to say those things of you before all men. We know that your word is a conquering word because your spirit is alive and at work in this world and he will have the victory. This is our sure promise. Make us under, help us to understand it and to build our lives upon it. We pray in your name. Amen. This this morning. This week, uh, as I was composing these sermon synopses, I spoke at the beginning of 
this innate desire to want to feel as though we are contributing to the work that benefits the world. Now, there are some lies that we believe in our culture today about what we are made for because we have, especially in the West, disconnected our identity from God's creating power. And so you will often hear uh, that we are made for ourselves, eat, drink, therefore, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. That's the humanist manifesto. And out of that humanist manifesto have crept all manner of errant ideas about who we are and what we're made for. Uh, One of those is humanism, secular humanism, that man is chief among all things and that man is the pinnacle, not as image bearers, but as those who do not need God at all. There is the lie of feminism that is told to women in our culture and everywhere that in order to be of use to a society, she must leave the home and earn money rather than to labor faithfully in the home and to nurture the souls of those if God has given them to her husband and herself, children. Or even within the church, we have applied the Harvard business model. And so I remember hearing Uh, Through, In fact, it was a drunken tirade of, ironically enough, the success of pastors like Stephen Furtick. That the litmus test for true success is not in the faithful administration of word and sacrament, but how big your congregation is. Of course, we are to interpret all of these things through scripture. We are to look at all of these things through the promises of God's word, and we are to see... That if we wish to live lives that count for something, it begins with the simple exercise of even what I heard, however faintly, coming from the back row, somewhere over here, a small child's voice singing, holy, holy, holy. I love it. And it's not as important that I love it. God loves it. He loves the sound of worship, even in the mouths of children that don't even understand what they are saying at times. They are imitating their parents. They're imitating you, even their friends. It's the right kind of peer pressure. My point is this. If we wish for our lives to count for something, we must begin with Psalm 138, verse 1. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Even before the gods, or some translations, kings, that is the powerful of earth, I will praise thee. That is the chief end of man. That their entire lives, or as David would say here, the entirety of my heart, that every part of us, would be devoted to worship, understanding what it is and what it does. That's what I want to talk about this evening. Worship as warfare. Worship as warfare. And then secondly, even kings will come. I'm sure there's a more clever way to orient those two headings, but that's what I've got. 
Worship is warfare, and even kings will come. Now, what we need to see is that we sing at the front lines. And if we are to erect our Ebenezer, if we are to raise our Ebenezer anywhere, it should not always be behind closed doors and closed walls where no one ever sees or hears us. Now, this is what the world wants The world wants, as I said even this morning, see there's similar themes in this book of the Psalms. They want to shut us down, shut us up, contain us, box us, move us to the fringes. And oftentimes the church is content with living at the periphery of culture. But that is not where Christ has ordained us to be. And it is fear and compromise that drive us there. Rather... What David would have the saints of God do is to set up their holy psalm-singing picket line before the thrones of the judges and kings and small-g gods of all the earth. We are a military. We are an armed force, the double-edged sword, as we sang this morning, that sings people into the kingdom. And that is our mission. It is to worship. Everything we've been called to do is before the face of a watching world. And they are watching. They act like they may be ignoring us, but they are not. They cannot. Because as those made in the image of God, there is within them this burning calling to glorify God and enjoy Him yet apart from new life in the Spirit They hate God because they understand they're condemned in their sins. And so what we are doing is we are confessing to them that God is real. His reality is inescapable. And that salvation comes through him alone. And so all worship is meant to drive not only ourselves as an exercise of covenant renewal into greater depths of godliness. But to call the world to believe. Sermons should do this. Our conversations should do this. And we should not be intimidated to zip our lid as... Did your parents ever say that to you? Zip your lid. (laughs) We should never do that. To button our lip. But to open our mouths. And to direct our praise in such a way. Verse 2. I will worship toward thine holy temple... And praise thy name because of thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy name above all the things by thy word. We direct our praise to the place wherein the covenant has been mediated between God and man. In the Old Testament, that was the temple. The temple was the place where the priests would mediate the sacrifices and the high priest would go in and offer once a year the sacrifice before God. God would meet with his people in relative proximity. And yet in John chapter 4, Christ comes and he says, we're doing away with that. Now that plan was revealed in fits and stops throughout the the Old Testament, but it was made expressly clear when Jesus said, tear down this building and in three days I will raise it up again. Christ was showing us that through him, by the Holy Spirit, you and I convene with God, which means 
the world needs to see the trajectory of our worship is to God through Christ Jesus. They need to see where our worship is aimed. This is why many churches simply call themselves Christ Church. Well, who are you named for? Um, well, it's in the name. Just look at the sign. Now, our, our church is called Reformation, which is what? That in all faith and practice, we seek to be reformed by the scriptures. So that we might direct all of our lives, the whole of God's word, to the whole of man, all of Christ, for all of life. So that when people see us worshiping, they'll never say, who do you think they're singing to? Which means we need to be explicit And not only what we are saying in the orthodoxy of our doctrine and our words, but to the one who has redeemed us. Our mouths should be filled with instructional doxology. I watch some worship services and I don't know what they're doing. I I, I don't know who they're worshiping. In fact, I commented on a song recently. I won't mention who the artist is because by and large I like a lot of his music. But he was singing a song and I could not figure out if he was talking about Jesus or his wife. That's a problem. (laughs) Make it clear. Don't be so poetic that we miss the plot. And so much of it is sensual and worldly. And none of it calls the church to remember That when we emphasize the name of Christ Jesus, though it is sweet in the ears of the saints, Satan hates it. So I want us to worship in such a way that to those who are being saved, they hear it and it is words of life and comfort and peace. But to the one who hates Christ, it is like nails on the chalkboard. It is through worship also that David speaks that we will topple empires. So look at verse 3. When I called, then thou, that is the Lord, heard me and increased strength in my soul. All the kings of the earth shall praise thee, O Lord, for they have heard the words of thy mouth. They heard. What did they hear? David is a king. We are the royal priests of the kingdom. Even now, you citizens of North and South Carolina, we are kings of earth in Christ Jesus. David is worshiping so that these gods, these kings, verse 1, will hear what I'm saying Which means their worship is done where? Well, he has no regard for separation of church and state, does he? Or what we have come to call the separation of church and state. In fact, even our own confession, we say, anytime the kings of earth want to come to the church for counsel, we're there. We'll give it to them. In fact, I would ask this question of you. Let's say someone is preparing to lead a nation and they are establishing policy. What's top of the list? Kiss the son lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way. 
Keep covenant with Christ. Keep covenant with God, the triune Lord, through Christ. Take the Apostles' Creed and slap it down on everything you do. Honor the triune Lord. Are you ready to say that? Do you have a suit? Do you have a tie picked out? (laughs) Are you ready to go to the Oval Office? And not even the Oval Office. Are you ready to go to the local city council meeting? Are you ready to go to the local school board? Are you ready to talk with anyone who will listen and be clear not only about the doctrine of the word, but how the scripture calls us to point all of our worship and our entire lives to the one who has redeemed us? The trajectory is the name of our Redeemer. Now, you don't have to be a king. To reach kings. But you have to say the name of Christ who is the king. Because Christ is in the business of toppling empires that do not pay homage to him as Lord. So don't let anyone mistake our worship for anything other than worship that exalts our creator and our redeemer. Sometimes we lack explicit words because we want to take the fine edge off what we say in fear of offending. And I would say this, it is high time past the point where we need to worry about offending people. I'm not saying be offensive just to be offensive. But do not neglect the clear call of Psalm 138 to soft pedal the allegiance that is demanded of all the citizens of earth to be citizens of the heavenly kingdom. To kiss the sun lest he be angry with you. Our worship is warfare. And so don't be surprised... When the world comes and wants to end what we're doing. There is a plot. (laughs) And at times we need to, well, at times we don't understand the plot. I think we've seen the plot. And so when David asks for strength, and when we pray, oh Lord, hear me. He gives me strength in my soul, in the innermost parts of me. Now, that strength that does not always translate to outward strength. Paul proclaimed the good news of Christ Jesus. He labored against the powers and empire, even of Rome, from a place of great humility. He was in prison. And yet he testifies, as I said this side, as I said this morning, though I am bound in chains, the word of God is never bound. Is that not a most glorious promise? You and I are just sort of trucking along and there are moments where we are impeded or it seems as though we are impeded in our pursuit of faithful ministry and service and yet the word just keeps going. It's it's a beautiful picture. Such that even verse 4, as I've read already, all the kings of earth shall praise thee. Now, what shall they praise, or how shall they do it? Well, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord is great. Second point, even kings will come. 
I think if we were honest, you and I would confess at times that there appear to be people who are beyond the gospel. And this is often the excuse we give. They're just so intelligent. (laughs) They're not. A child who sings holy, holy, holy has greater wisdom and discernment than any intellectual, any academic that denies the existence of God, which is why the scriptures say it is out of the mouths of babes and children that he will humble us. He will topple empires. The only thing that separates a person who is and who is not in the kingdom of Christ is a failure to repent of their own indwelling sins. Of course, this is the fruit of the Spirit at work in them. And so we can say that the only thing that separates the sheep and the goats is the regenerating work of Christ by His Spirit in the life of an individual. But how does Christ work? How does the Spirit move? He moves through the act of proclamation, as we read in the book of Romans. How shall they hear if they are not sent? To the active proclamation of the word of God in the faithful worship of the saints who gather together on the Lord's day. Now, we could gather every day of the week. I'm not ready for that preaching load yet. Maybe one day I'll just bring back a lot of recycled sermons. (laughs) But I wonder how anemic our appetite is. For the things of the Spirit. Here's what I do know. The more you see God at work in the lives of individuals to bring reformation and revival, the more you want to see it. When the diet pays off, you stay on it. Oftentimes as Christians, we fail in faithfulness because we never even began We never even started the first step in the journey of explicit worship that leads to conquest. Or God tarries longer than maybe we would like. And sometimes God does this. And we cannot accuse, we cannot doubt his wisdom and sovereignty. And so in those moments where we are impatient, when we are anguished, when we are beaten down, the place that we must go to to receive our encouragement is the primary place and those places that are reflections and emanations of it where God has destroyed death and hell. And that is the cross of Jesus Christ. David is calling the saints to remember That through worship, which is warfare, the kingdom of Christ will triumph over the gods or kings of the earth. Now you may say, how is that possible? And I would say to you, the disciples thought the same thing days after Christ died. And yet he was raised. And then he gave the spirit. And we find Pentecost. And we see Christ ascended on high. The vision of Stephen where Christ stands and honors him for his faithfulness. And then Paul becomes a missionary to the Gentiles. And Paul dies. All of the apostles, save one, died at the hands of Rome. 
or some pagan force. And yet what happened in the church? Growth. Exponential. Unstoppable. Nation-toppling. Kingdom-spanning. Growth and success and flourishing. All of this because the church is built upon Christ who is raised. But Christ's glory was preceded by humiliation. And as I spoke of this morning, there is much sorrow in the labor of the church. We go out throwing seed, and the sorrow that comes is often felt when we share the gospel with someone and there is nothing, the deadpan, or the pushback. And we think, what is happening? Where is the success Well, the Spirit moves where He will as He is directed by the Father. But this we know. That whether high or low born, the worship of the saints will be effectual to bring in the nations. And this is a war that we will win. When I say we will win, what I mean is this. When Christ has given to his apostles the Great Commission, he's not given them something just to spin their wheels in seeking to achieve until he comes, like giving a kid a coloring book till you get to grandma's. He's given a mission we can win. Not to stave off boredom, but to conquer empires. Because even kings will come. And the testimony of their mouths is that the glory is the Lord's. And what kind of glory is that? Look at verse 6. This is what they will confess of Christ. It's the same as Psalm 113. For the Lord is high, yet he beholdeth the lowly. But the proud he knoweth afar off. Though God is transcendent, he is near to those who are low. But his regard for the proud is distant. He has no regard for them. The kings of earth do what? Well, they attend $15,000 dinners, right? You're nobody unless you can fund raise. Yet that is not our king. What do we bring to him? I mean, really, what do we got? What can we bring to Christ that he does not have? Is there something that he lacks? No. God did not create because he lacked anything. He created out of the abundance of the glorious fellowship of the persons. It was an overflow of his abundant joy. I wasn't born into this world and, oh, man. Boy, Job is such a blessing. (laughs) He was eternally blessed. It is we who lack. It is we who are incomplete. And yet, despite our lowliness, the Lord is merciful and visits with us. But those who are proud, those kings who do not kiss the sun... He regards them from a distance. There is no covenantal favor with them. So that we can say, 
Though I walk in the midst of trouble, that is the trouble caused by godless kings, yet will thou revive me. Thou wilt stretch forth thine hand upon the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. This is the psalm of a man who took the head off Goliath and understands that Christ will, through his appointed means, topple empires. And so what I am saying is this, we need not either be embarrassed or hesitant in our faithful testimony of the word of God among those people we think are smarter or more powerful or more beautiful or who have greater wealth than we do. Whenever you come to an apologetics class, who is the person you're always thinking of when you're studying apologetics? The guy who does it for a living, right? What happens if Christopher Hitchens comes to my church? Well, you know what you do? You just cozy right up next to him. You pull out your hymnal and say, would you sing with me? And he may rail, he may fuss, he may say, this is the, the exp- I don't know, is Christopher Hitchens the one who's still alive? He's dead. Proves my point. <laughs> in fact, I'll make that point in a moment. <laughs> you worship. You do what you've always done. And you leave it to the Spirit. But it must be clear And you really don't enjoy it unless you're brave. (laughs) It's easier to delight in it when you're a little bit obstinate. I want us. David wants us. The Lord wants us to live like citizens within a city whose lives are in constant renewal Look at verse 7 again. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, yet thou wilt revive me. Thou wilt stretch forth thine hand upon the wrath of mine enemies, and thy right hand shall save me. Do you know what you give up when you absent yourself from the worship of the Lord? Revival. To be revived. Now, I know sometimes it feels like the opposite. Parents with your children. It's draining, but it's not. It is and it isn't over time what it becomes. Isn't just habit. It becomes food for your soul that you cannot live without. In fact, it doesn't become that. It was always that. You just failed to recognize the significance of it. The way the New King James says is, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you will revive me. You will stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand will save me. Worship reminds us that the fight is the Lord's. Now, the book of Acts ought to be for us a wonderful example of these kinds of passages lived out in technicolor, in real life. And in Acts chapter 12... The church is being persecuted, and there is a king, King Herod. And this is what happens to Herod in his pride. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Then immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Now, I don't know how you're eaten by worms before you die. (laughs) 
It's a humiliating death. In fact, if we just bury people in the ground without all this sophisticated stuff that we do now, we're all worm food. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And yet the mark of the proud is what? My name will live forever. Here is Herod. Mocked. Worshipped. The voice of a God. And not of a man. Look at who your neighbors are obsessed with. Who they listen to. Who they take counsel from. And sometimes that counsel is good. And it's within the proper perspective. But oftentimes we're surrounded by people who when it comes to the voice of X particular leader, they would in their hearts say the voice of a God and not of a man. Because of the people they run to for help. God does not like this. God is jealous in his glory and his wrath. And so what happens to those men who hear and love the adoration of their own name is they will be brought low. In that little juxtaposition written by Luke, I guess the perspective of a doctor. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Don't be afraid of worm food. Don't be afraid of them. But look at verse 8. The Lord will perform his work toward me. O Lord, thy mercy endureth forever. Forsake not the work of thine hands. God's work never ends. It never fails. He is not worm food, but he is risen just as he said. And even now in his glorified body, he sits upon the throne and he rules and reigns forever. And though he is seated at the highest throne, he does not forget you or me. His mercy endureth forever. And he will not forsake the work of his hands. This is why we worship wherever we go, no matter who hears us. Because it is through worship that is warfare, empires will come to nothing, and the church will remain forever. Let's pray.